chapter thirty two part two of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty two part two we scarcely know what sensations it would have occasioned in one who had known brandon only in his later years could he have read those letters referring to so much earlier a date there was in the keen and arid character of the man so little that recalled any idea of courtship or youthful gallantry that a correspondence of that nature would have appeared almost as unnatural as the loves of plants or the amatory softenings of a mineral the correspondence now before brandon was descriptive of various feelings but all appertaining to the same class most of them were apparent answers to letters from him one while they replied tenderly to expressions of tenderness but intimated a doubt whether the writer would be able to constitute his future happiness and atone for certain sacrifices of birth and fortune and ambitious prospects to which she alluded at other times a vein of latent coquetry seemed to pervade the style an indescribable air of coolness and reserve contrasted former passages in the correspondence and was calculated to convey to the reader an impression that the feelings of the lover were not altogether adequately returned frequently the writer as if brandon had expressed himself sensible of this conviction reproached him for unjust jealousy and unworthy suspicion and the tone of the reproach varied in each letter sometimes it was gay and satirizing at others soft and expostulatory at others gravely reasoning and often haughtily indignant still throughout the whole correspondence on the part of the mistress there was a sufficient stamp of individuality to give a shrewd examiner some probable guess at the writer's character he would have judged her perhaps capable of strong and ardent feeling but ordinarily of a light and capricious turn and seemingly proper to imagine and to resent offence with these letters were mingled others in brandon's writing of how different of how impassioned a description all that a deep proud meditative exacting character could dream of love given or require of love returned was poured burningly over the pages yet they were full of reproach of jealousy of a nice and torturing observation as calculated to wound as the ardour might be fitted to charm and often the bitter tendency to disdain that distinguished his temperament broke through the fondest enthusiasm of courtship or the softest outpourings of love you saw me not yesterday he wrote in one letter but i saw you all day i was by you you gave not a look which passed me unnoticed you made not a movement which i did not chronicle in my memory julia do you tremble when i tell you this yes if you have a heart i know these words would stab it to the core you may affect to answer me indignantly wise dissembler it is very skilful very to assume anger when you have no reply i repeat during the whole of that party of pleasure pleasure well your tastes it must be acknowledged are exquisite which you enjoyed yesterday and which you so faintly 
asked me to share my eye was on you you did not know that i was in the wood when you took the grin of the incomparable digby with so pretty a semblance of alarm at the moment the snake which my foot disturbed glided across your path you did not know i was within hearing of the tent where you made so agreeable a repast and from which your laughter sent peals so many and so numerous laughter oh julia can you tell me that you love and yet be happy even to mirth when i am away love oh god how different a sensation is mine mine makes my whole principle of life yours i tell you that i think at moments i would rather have your hate than the lukewarm sentiment you bear to me an honour by the name of affection pretty phrase i have no affection for you give me not that sickly word but try with me julia to invent some expression that has never filtered a paltry meaning through the lips of another affection why that is a sister's word a girl's word to her pet squirrel never was it made for that ruby and most ripe mouth shall i come to your house this evening your mother has asked me and you you heard her and said nothing oh but that was made in reserve was it and made in reserve caused you to take up a book the moment i left you as if my company made but an ordinary amusement instantly to be replaced by another when i have seen you society books food all are hateful to me but you sweet julia you can read can you why when i left you i lingered by the parlour window for hours till dusk and you never once lifted your eyes nor saw me pass and repass at least i thought you would have watched my steps when i left the house but i err charming moralist according to you that vigilance would have been meanness in another part of the correspondence a more grave if not a deeper gush of feeling struggled for expression you say julia that were you to marry one who thinks so much of what he surrenders for you and who requires from yourself so vast a return of love you should tremble for the future happiness of both of us julia the triteness of that fear proves that you love not at all i do not tremble for our future happiness on the contrary the intensity of my passion for you makes me know that we never can be happy never beyond the first rapture of our union happiness is a quiet and tranquil feeling no feeling that i can possibly bear to you will ever receive those epithets i know that i shall be wretched and accursed when i am united to you start not i will presently tell you why but i do not dream of happiness neither could you fathom one drop of the dark and limitless ocean of my emotions would you name to me that word it is not the mercantile and callous calculation of chances for future felicity what homily supplied you with so choice a term that enters into the heart that cherishes an all-pervading love passion looks only to one object to nothing beyond i thirst i consume not for happiness but you were your possession inevitably to lead me to a gulf of anguish and shame think you i should covet it one jot the less if you carry one thought one hope one dim fancy beyond the event that makes you mine you may be more worthy of the esteem of others but you are utterly undeserving of my love i will tell you now why i know we cannot be happy in the first place when you say that i am proud of birth that i am morbidly ambitious that i am anxious to shine in the great world and that after the first intoxication of love has passed away 
i shall feel bitterness against one who has so humbled my pride and darkened my prospects i'm not sure that you wholly err but i am sure that the instant remedy is in your power have you patience julia to listen to a kind of history of myself or rather of my feelings if so perhaps it may be the best method of explaining all that i would convey you will see then that my family pride and my worldly ambition are not founded altogether on those basements which move my laughter in another if my feelings thereon are really however as you would insinuate equal matter for derision behold my julia i can laugh equally at them so pleasant a thing to me is scorn that i would rather despise myself than have no one to despise but to my narrative you must know that there are but two of us sons of a country squire of old family which once possessed large possessions and something of historical renown we lived in an old country place my father was a convivial dog a fox-hunter a drunkard yet in his way a fine gentleman and a very disreputable member of society the first feelings towards him that i can remember were those of shame not much matter of family pride here you will say true and that is exactly the reason which made me cherish family pride elsewhere my father's house was filled with guests some high and some low they all united in ridicule of the host i soon detected the laughter and you may imagine that it did not please me meanwhile the old huntsman whose family was about as ancient as ours and whose ancestors had officiated in his capacity for the ancestors of his master time out of mind told me story after story about the brandons of yore i turned from the stories to more legitimate history and found the legends were tolerably true i learned to glow at this discovery the pride humbled when i remembered my sire revived when i remembered my ancestors i became resolved to emulate them to restore a sunken name and vowed a world of nonsense on the subject the habit of brooding over these ideas grew on me i never heard a jest broken on my paternal guardian i never caught the maudlin look of his reeling eyes nor listened to some exquisite inanity from his besotted lips but that my thoughts flew instantly back to the sir charles's and the sir roberts of my race and i comforted myself with the hope that the present degeneracy should pass away hence julia my family pride hence too another feeling you dislike in me disdain i first learned to despise my father the host and i then despised my acquaintances his guests for i saw while they laughed at him that they flattered and that their merriment was not the only thing suffered to feed at his expense thus contempt grew up with me and i had nothing to check it for when i looked around i saw not one living thing that i could respect this father of mine had the sense to think i was no idiot he was proud poor man of my talents namely of prizes won at school and congratulatory letters from my masters he sent me to college my mind took a leap there i will tell you prettiest what it was before i went thither i had some fine vague visions about virtue i thought to revive my ancestral honours by being good in short i was an embryo king pepin i awoke from this dream at the university there for the first time i perceived the real consequence of rank at school you know julia boys cared nothing for a lord a good cricketer an excellent fellow is worth all the earls in the peerage but at college all that ceases bats and balls sink into the nothingness in which corals and bells had sunk before one grows manly and worships coronets and carriages i saw it was a fine thing to get a prize but it was ten times a finer thing to get drunk with a peer so when i had done the first my resolve to be worthy of my sires 
made me do the second not indeed exactly i never got drunk my father disgusted me with that vice betimes to his gluttony i owe my vegetable diet and to his inebriety my addiction to water no i did not get drunk with peers but i was just as agreeable to them as if i had been equally imbruted i knew intimately all the hats in the university and i was henceforth looked up to by the caps as if my head had gained the height of every hat that i knew at cambridge the sons of noblemen and the eldest sons of baronets are allowed to wear hats instead of the academical cap but i did not do this immediately i must tell you two little anecdotes that first initiated me into the secret of real greatness the first was this i was sitting at dinner with some fellows of a college grave men and clever two of them not knowing me were conversing about me they heard they said that i should never be so good a fellow as my father have such a cellar or keep such a house i have met six earls there and a marquis quoth the other senior and his son returned the first don only keeps company with sizers i believe so then said i to myself to deserve the praise even of clever men one must have good wines no plenty of earls and forswear sizers nothing could be truer than my conclusion anecdote the second is this on the day i gained a high university prize i invited my friends to dine with me four of them refused because they were engaged they had been asked since i asked them to whom the richest man at the university these occurrences happening at the same time threw me into a profound reverie i awoke and became a man of the world i no longer resolved to be virtuous and to hunt after the glory of your romans and your athenians i resolved to become rich powerful and of worldly repute i abjured my honest sizers and as i said before i courted some rich hats behold my first grand step in the world i became the parasite and the flatterer what would my pride suffer this verily yes my pride delighted in it for it soothed my spirit of contempt to put these fine fellows to my use it soothed me to see how easily i could cajole them and to what a variety of purposes i could apply even the wearisome disgust of their acquaintance nothing is so foolish as to say the idle great are of no use they can be put to any use whatsoever that a wise man is inclined to make of them well julia lo my character already formed the family pride disdain and worldly ambition there it is for you after circumstances only strengthened the impression already made i desired on leaving college to go abroad my father had no money to give me what signified that i looked carelessly around for some wealthier convenience than the paternal board i found it in a lord malevolent he had been at college with me and i endured him easily as a companion for he had accomplishments wit and good nature i made him wish to go abroad and i made him think he should die of ennui if i did not accompany him to his request to that effect i reluctantly agreed and saw everything in europe which he neglected to see at his expense what amused me the most was the perception that i the parasite was respected by him and he the patron was ridiculed by me it would not have been so if i had depended on my virtue well sweetest julia the world as i have said gave to my college experience a sacred authority i returned to england and my father died leaving to me not a sixpence and to my brother an estate so mortgaged that he could not enjoy it and so restricted that he could not sell it it was now the time for me to profit by the experience i boasted of i saw that it was necessary i should take some profession professions are the masks to your pauper robe they give respectability to cheating and a diploma to feed upon others i analyzed my talents and looked to the customs of my country the result was my resolution to take to the bar i had an inexhaustible power of application i was keen shrewd and audacious all these qualities tell at the courts of justice 
i kept my legitimate number of terms i was called i went the circuit i obtained not a brief not a brief julia my health never robust gave way beneath study and irritation i was ordered to betake myself to the country i came to this village as one both salubrious and obscure i lodged in the house of your aunt you came hither daily i saw you you know the rest but where all this time were my noble friends you will say sdeath since we had left college they had learned a little of the wisdom i had then possessed they were not disposed to give something for nothing they had younger brothers and cousins and mistresses and for aught i know children to provide for besides they had their own expenses the richer a man is the less he has to give one of them would have bestowed on me a living if i had gone into the church another commission if i had joined his regiment but i knew the day was past both for priest and soldier and it was not merely to live no nor to live comfortably but to enjoy power that i desired so i declined these offers others of my friends would have been delighted to have kept me in their house feasted me joked with me rode with me nothing more but i had already the sense to see that if a man dances himself into distinction it is never by the steps of attendance one must receive favours and court patronage but it must be with the air of an independent man my old friends thus rendered useless my legal studies forbade me to make new nay they even estranged me from the old for people may say what they please about a similarity of opinions being necessary to friendship a similarity of habits is much more so it is the man you dine breakfast and lodge with walk ride gamble or thieve with that is your friend not the man who likes virgil as well as you do and agrees with you in an admiration of handel meanwhile my chief prey lord malevola was gone he had taken another man's dulcinea and sought out a bower in italy from that time to this i have never heard of him nor seen him i know not even his address with the exception of a few stray gleanings from my brother who good easy man i could plunder more were i not resolved not to ruin the family stock i have been thrown on myself the result is that though as clever as my fellows i have narrowly shunned starvation had my wants been less simple there would have been no shunning in the case but a man is not easily starved who drinks water and eats by the ounce a more effectual fate might have befallen me disappointment wrath baffled hope mortified pride all these which gnawed at my heart might have consumed it long ago i might have fretted away as a garment which the moth eateth had it not been for that fund of obstinate and iron hardness which nature i beg pardon there is no nature circumstance bestowed upon me this has borne me up and will bear me yet through time and shame and bodily weakness and mental fever until my ambition has won a certain height and my disdain of human pettiness rioted in the external sources of fortune as well as an inward fountain of bitter and self-fed consolation yet o oh julia i know not if even this would have supported me if at that epoch of life when i was most wounded most stricken in body most soured in mind my heart had not met and fastened itself to yours i saw you loved you and life became to me a new object even now as i write to you all my bitterness my pride vanish everything i have longed for disappears my very ambition is gone i have no hope but for you julia beautiful adored julia when i love you i love even my kind oh you know not the power you possess over me do not betray it you can yet make me all that my boyhood once dreamed or you can harden every thought feeling sensation into stone i was to tell you why i looked not for happiness in our union you have now seen my nature you have traced the history of my life by tracing the history of my character you see what i surrender in gaining you i do not deny the sacrifice i surrender the very essentials of my present mind and soul 
i cease to be worldly i cannot raise myself i cannot revive my ancestral name nay i shall relinquish it for ever i shall adopt a disguised appellation i shall sink into another grade of life in some remote village by means of some humbler profession than that i now follow we must earn our subsistence and smile at ambition i tell you frankly julia when i close the eyes of my heart when i shut you from my gaze this sacrifice appalls me but even then you force yourself before me and i feel that one glance from your eye is more to me than all if you could bear with me if you could soothe me if when a cloud is on me you could suffer it to pass away unnoticed and smile on me the moment it is gone oh julia there would be then no extreme of poverty no abasement of fortune no abandonment of early dreams which would not seem to me rapture if coupled with the bliss of knowing that you are mine never should my lip never should my eye tell you that there is that thing on earth for which i repine or which i could desire no julia could i flatter my heart with this hope you would not find me dream of unhappiness and you united but i tremble julia when i think of your temper and my own you will conceive a gloomy look from one never mirthful is an insult and you will feel every vent of passion on fortune or on others as a reproach to you then too you cannot enter into my nature you cannot descend into its caverns you cannot behold much less can you deign to lull the exacting and lynx-eyed jealousy that dwells there sweetest julia every breath of yours every touch of yours every look of yours i yearn for beyond all a mother's longing for the child that has been torn from her for years your head leaned upon an old tree do you remember it near blank and i went every day after seeing you to kiss it do you wonder that i am jealous how can i love you as i do and be otherwise my whole being is intoxicated with you this then your pride in mine your pleasure in the admiration of others your likeness julia make me foresee an eternal and gushing source of torture to my mind i care not i care for nothing so that you are mine if but for one hour it seems that despite the strange sometimes the unlover-like and fiercely selfish nature of these letters from brandon something of a genuine tone of passion perhaps their originality aided no doubt by some uttered eloquence of the writer and some treacherous inclination on the part of the mistress ultimately conquered and that a union so little likely to receive the smile of a prosperous star was at length concluded the letter which terminated the correspondence was from brandon it was written on the evening before the marriage which it appeared by the same letter was to be private and concealed after a rapturous burst of hope and joy it continued thus yes julia i recant my words i have no belief that you or i shall ever have cause hereafter for unhappiness those eyes that dwelt so tenderly on mine that hand whose pressure lingers yet in every nerve of my frame those lips turned so coyly yet shall i say reluctantly from me all tell me that you love me and my fears are banished love which conquered my nature will conquer the only thing i would desire to see altered in yours nothing could ever make me adore you less though you affect to dread it nothing but a knowledge that you are unworthy of me that you have a thought for another then i should not hate you no the privilege of my past existence would revive i should revel in a luxury of contempt i should despise you i should mock you and i should be once more what i was before i knew you but why do i talk thus my bride my blessing forgive me in concluding our extracts from this correspondence we wish the reader to note first that the love professed by brandon seems of that vehement and corporeal nature which while it is often the least durable is often the most susceptible of the fiercest extremes of hatred or even of disgust 
secondly that the character opened by this sarcastic candour evidently required in a mistress either an utter devotion or a skilful address and thirdly that we have hinted at such qualities in the fair correspondent as did not seem sanguinely to promise either of these essentials while with a curled yet often with a quivering lip the austere and sarcastic brandon slowly compelled himself to the task of proceeding through these monuments of former folly and youthful emotion the further elucidation of those events now rapidly urging on a fatal and dread catastrophe spreads before us a narrative occurring many years prior to the time at which we are present arrived End of chapter thirty two part two